What does it mean to live a full life? Well, the way the world answers that question is very different from the answer God's Word gives us. For followers of Christ, knowing and enjoying God is the essence of what it means to truly live. Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. And as always, you can find thousands of more gospel-centered, nations-minded resources at Radical.net. Well, in today's new message from 1 Peter chapter 1, Pastor David Platt urges us to be holy, to love God, to fear God, and to hope in God as our heavenly Father. This is what marks us as His beloved children. So here's David Platt with a sermon titled, Four Steps to Full Life, from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to 1 Peter, near the end of the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 1. I am loving walking through this book, and I can't wait for you to hear God's word in the next few minutes. While you're turning, I want to briefly mention a couple things. First, as I'm wearing this shirt, let me continually remind you to sign up and serve and share the gospel across our city during these days. Like, people are coming to know Jesus. Their lives change for all of eternity every week through this work. So, be a part of it. Second, we are working to hopefully open up more opportunities for more people to attend a Sunday gathering in person at all of our locations over the next couple of weeks, uh, starting over the next couple of weeks. So still with limited seating and strong safety protocols in place. And I know there are some groups that are gathering in homes. Like I want to continue to encourage that. We're not going to be uh, full scale wide open at this point. But just be on the lookout in our e-news for more information along those lines, which you can subscribe to when you go to our Get Connected uh, part of the website. On a related note, we're actually hosting an outdoor gathering at George Mason University today uh, that anyone from any location is invited to. You can stay in your car or get out of your car. It's supposed to be a beautiful afternoon, so come out and join us in that in-person gathering if you want at 4.30 today. Then, I mentioned this last week, I want to call us today and over the next month to concentrated time in prayer for our country, for our leaders, and for this election. So I've written this Before You Vote book to try to, try to help and shepherd us amidst this political climate with God's Word, uh, which by the way, on a side note, I'm sorry there have been problems with Amazon delivering those books. Uh, that's beyond our control, but hopefully uh, they should be coming in the next day or two. But for any of you who would like a physical copy now, you can come up here to the Tyson's locations anytime this building is open and get one for free, or you can down, download it digitally on Kindle. But I want to invite all of you, and I'm going to put this up here on the screen, to go to mcleanbible.org slash pray where you will find a 31-day prayer guide leading up to the election. And the short five-minute Pray the Word podcast will actually follow this for the next 31 days. And so if you want to download that as well, but I just want to call us to seek God's, God's face together in light of all that's happening in our country to come together as his people 
as one before him in prayer. In fact, let's, let's start now on this day, October 4th. So will you, will you pray with me? Oh God, we say together with one voice before you now that we need your mercy in our country. We pray for your help in so many ways. God, we pray for our president and his wife and others who have COVID. We pray for their healing and recovery. We pray, oh God, that you would draw them to yourself and your love and your mercy. God, we pray that you would give all those in the White House and the Senate and the House and the courts wisdom to lead our country well. God, we pray for leaders who fear you and who lead with wisdom according to your word. God, we pray for the spread of the gospel, your grace among leaders in our country. We pray for their humility and integrity and for justice and mercy and truth and love to mark those who lead us now, those who lead us in the future. Even as we pray for this for our leaders, Jesus, we praise you alone as the perfect leader, as the only leader who is worthy of all of our hope and all of our trust and all of our allegiance. Jesus, you are the leader our nation needs. So we pray for spiritual awakening, for softening of hearts across our city, across our country, that we might turn to you. As your church, Lord Jesus, we unite together around you alone. We pray and commit ourselves to work together as your body, your bride, for the spread of your fame in our neighborhoods here in Metro Washington, D.C., and in our nation, in all nations, however, wherever you lead us. God, we pray that you would lead and guide us as your church in this election to glorify you and to honor everyone. First Peter two seventeen. honor everyone with our thoughts and our attitudes and our speech and our actions. Even now, oh God, in the next few minutes, we ask you to soften our hearts, speak to our hearts by the power of your spirit so that we might experience life to the full, to your glory and for our good. Hear our prayers, answer we pray, especially over these, these next few days leading up to the election. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's hear from God. Many of you are memorizing 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 together, and if you're following the Bible reading plan, you have memorized through verse 7 today. But we're actually going to start where we left off last week in verse 13, so we're not going to read, quote, those initial verses 
today. Instead, we're going to begin by reading these words from God. So I want to invite all of you, whether you're in this room, at home, if you're alone, with a group of people, whatever it might be, let's read God's word out loud together. It'll be up here on the screen. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Let's read it together. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot." He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever." And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Okay, if you are taking notes, here's one truth that I want you to take away from what we just read. Here it is. Life is futile apart from knowing and enjoying God as Father. Life is futile apart from knowing and enjoying God as Father. So let let me show you. It's not just something I'm making up. This is in what we just read, what God is saying to us right now. I want to show you that. And then I want us to think about what a significant, bold, even potentially offensive statement this is. So first, where we see this in God's Word, in verse 17 The Bible says to Christians, if you call on God as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So remember we talked about this two weeks ago. Christians are foreigners in this country, any country. That's the team we're on, elect exiles, knowing that you were ransomed, saved from And we expect the next word to be, you're saved from what? Sin or judgment or death. 
But verse 18 says, you were ransomed, saved from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Huh. You see this truth here. So Christian, you have been ransomed, saved from futility, from feudal ways. Like that's a strong word. From pointless, meaningless ways that were passed on to you by your forefathers, people in this world. So you used to live a pointless, meaningless, futile life, but now you've been ransomed from that. You've been saved from futility. By who? By God, who is your father. So three times in 1 Peter 1, God is referred to as father. Christians are referred to as, remember back in verse 3, those who are born again. It's the same language in verse 23. Again, since you have been born again. And in verse 14, what we just read, we are called as Christians obedient what? Children. So this is what a Christian is, a child of God, someone who knows God as father. I've shared on multiple occasions now this quote from J.I. Packer in his excellent book that I always highly recommend, Knowing God. And Packer writes, what is a Christian? Like just basic question, what is a Christian? The richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught Everything that is distinctively Christian is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. So, this truth is evident in 1 Peter. Life is futile apart from knowing and enjoying God as Father. Now, let's think about how significant and potentially even offensive this statement is. First, the offense What I'm saying, based on the Bible, is that your life is and will be ultimately futile, meaningless, pointless, if you live it apart from knowing and enjoying God as Father. Like, just let that land on every one of our ears and every one of our hearts. I think about non-Christian friends and family members who are listening right now. Like if this is true, then your life right now is futile. And if you do not come to know and enjoy God as Father, then your life will ultimately be futile, pointless. Like you will have missed the whole point. What I want to show you today is that God does not want you to live and die like that. I want to show you today that God wants you, right, where you are, he wants you to live and die with fullness and meaning for what matters most in eternity. And that leads to the significance of this statement. So maybe if I were to turn it around and state it more positively, 
I would put this truth this way. Life is full, and the deepest possible meaning of that word, like abundant, meaningful, full of purpose, life is full only when you know and enjoy God as Father. In the next few minutes, I want to show you four steps to full life based on God's word. And they all revolve around knowing and enjoying him as father each and every day of your life. So that, that's what I'm after. That's what I believe God is after in this text. He wants you, just let it soak in, The God of the universe wants you right where you are to experience life to the full, to experience abundant, meaningful life, life that gets the point. And who among us doesn't want that? Like, who among us, when choosing between a feudal life and a full life, would say, I'm going to go with feudal? Like, meaningful life or meaningless life? I'd like to be meaningless. Like, at the end of your life, when you die, do you, do you want to look back and say, I got the point or I, I totally missed the point? Like nobody says, I want to get to the end, look back and think, man, I'm so glad I wasted it. According to 1 Peter, that's what God wants to save you, ransom you from. So how? Four steps to full life. And just pull these out of the hat. There are four clear commands from God in this text. And these steps flow directly from these commands. So I would encourage you to write these down. Like if you're taking notes, and I would encourage you to take notes. Like, I'd say these are probably worth writing down. If you want a full life, it's probably worth writing down. Here's four steps to full life according to God. And remembering these and putting them into practice. And then one more thing I'll show you before we get into the four steps. This whole passage starts with the word, therefore. And whenever we see that, we know in the Bible that's referring to what came before this. In light of what has just been said, do these four things. So these four steps hinge on what we read and we saw last week in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 12, which is why, so I'm going to pull out this rope one more time out here uh, just to, to put it before us and to remind us what we talked about last week. If you did not get to listen or watch last week, I would encourage you to, not because it was like an amazing sermon, but because it was an amazing text that talked about our, so we talked about our life, like this blue part of this rope that extends forever in that direction and eternity past, and forever in this direction and eternity future, and this little blue part on the rope represents your life, my life right now, and we talked last week about, so how do you hold on to hope amidst temptations, trials, uh, temptations to lose trust, hope, faith in God in the middle of this. And we talked about how you do that is you look back at God's love for you from before time even began. Look back at all those who have served you by pointing you to hope in God. Look back to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus who died for you, rose from the dead to guarantee your inheritance forever in heaven, which leads us to look forward to the inheritance that's waiting for us in eternity, the glory that will be given to all who hope and trust in God. You know, I, Heather and I were talking this week, just talking through a, a challenge, and 
and how we're tempted in this world to say, like, the grass is greener on the other side when it's not. Like it's, but then we started thinking, like, wait a second. Like, the grass actually is greener on this side. Like, it's perfectly green. Like, I have really good news for you. The other side of this, grass is totally green forever. So, anyway, then, so look back, look forward, then look up. Not just at angels and people who've gone before us who are cheering us on, encouraging us to hope and trust in God. It's worth it. He's worth it. But look up at the God who promises to guard and guide you all the way to the end. So Peter says, therefore, in light of that, so how do you live here in the blue? So that's what verses 13 through 25 are after. How do you live right here? How do you experience life to the full right here? How do you make this count? The answer is, therefore, in light of all that, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's the first command, the first step to full life. Just write it right here. One, first step to full life, hope in God. Set your hope fully on the grace of God, you get later, verse 21, says, so your faith or hope are in God, hope in God. Now, that's an interesting command, isn't it? Because hope is like a desire, like an emotion, similar to a feeling. So how do you, how do you command somebody to feel a certain way? Like, feel this emotion. Now, do it. It's like, uh, okay try how do I do that and God tells us how to do this actually tells us here in verse 13 how to hope he says preparing your minds for action and being sober minded so God is telling us here that there are things you and I can and need to do in our minds in order to cultivate hope in our hearts So hope is, this is so important, according to God, hope is not some passive emotion that you can't control. Like, I just don't have hope, and I don't know how to get it. Like, no, there's a way to get it, to experience it. It's not something you either have or you don't. No, you can control, cultivate, create hope in your heart by disciplining your mind. Your thoughts, by not letting your mind be ruled by thoughts that are contrary to hope in God. It's this picture of being sober. Like a drunk person is disoriented, right? They're not thinking straight. And God is saying, guard your mind from disoriented thinking that pulls you away from hope in God. We, we talked about this in Philippians chapter four and the battle with anxiety in our minds, with worry and all kinds of other battles that we have in our mind. Do you remember this? In a message on Jesus and anxiety a couple months ago, we walked through an acrostic called STOP, S-T-O-P. So when you are tempted to worry, when you're tempted to be anxious, and today I'll add, when you are tempted to feel hopeless, stop. Remember what these letters stand for. S, seek God in prayer about everything. Philippians chapter four, verse six, do not be anxious about 
anything but in everything by prayer and supplication let your requests be made known to God so this is how to hope in God seek God in prayer about everything lift up all the things that cause you to feel hopeless just lift them up to God then T trust God through prayers of thanksgiving with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God so stop and thank God for all that we saw last week his love for you from the before the foundation of the world, his promises to you about the future, his power that will guard and guide you to the end, trust God through prayers of thanksgiving, then oh, this is what we're seeing here in 1 Peter 1.13, open your mind to that which comes from God. The way Philippians 4.9 put it was whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, think about those things. So this is simple, I'm not saying it's easy, Our minds are a battlefield, but the instruction God is giving us in this battle is simple. Think about what you're thinking about. If you spend all your time, follow this, if you spend all your time thinking about what's going on in this world, various things that are going wrong, have gone wrong, might go wrong in your life, in the world, if you fill your mind with these things, you are going to feel hopeless, anxious, discouraged. But you set your mind on who God is, on how God loves you, promises from God to you. You know what starts to happen? Hope starts to rise. Hope in God. So guard your mind. Like, don't spend so many hours, like, looking at a screen, just immersing yourself in the stuff of this world, and expect hope to rise in your heart. Don't do it. No, immerse your mind in God and his word, the wonder of who he is and what he has said to you. Hope will start to rise. You see how important your mind is. Even, even back in verse 14 in 1 Peter 1. You read it, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So passions, emotions that are driven by lack of knowledge, what's going on in your mind. So Peter's saying, you used to live with emotions that were driven by a mind that was immersed in this world. Like you didn't know what you know now. You didn't know who God is and the hope that's found in him. But now you know. Now you know him, his word. So don't forget, like fix your mind on God, his grace, his promises, his love for you now. You know this now. So don't forget it. Keep opening your mind to that which comes from God. And then... Remember the P in this acrostic, practice the word of God. In other words, then live your life according to what God's word says, not according to the ways of this world. You don't live according to the futility, hopelessness of this world. You live on a higher plane. You live with hope in God. So the first step to a full life is to hope in God. And the way you generate this hope in your heart is by filling your mind with the love and the promises and the truth and the wonder of God and his word from eternity past to eternity future. Then, okay, so now second step. So it's not just steps you take in your mind and your heart. Like verse 13 said, prepare your minds, preparing your minds for action. So what's the action? Verse 14, as obedient children, 
Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He's quoting from God's word to his people centuries before. So here's the second step to a full life. So one, hope in God. Two, be holy like God. Second step to a full life, be holy like God. Now, there's a whole sermon, actually many, many sermons on just this phrase. For the sake of time today, I'll just ask you to think with me about the phrase, like father, like son. Like that statement can be a really good thing if a father is a really good father, right? Like if a father is known for his integrity, then somebody observes his son's life and says, like father, like son. Like that's a good thing for that son. But it's not a good thing if a father is evil, right? If a father is known for being prideful and selfish, lack of integrity, someone observes his son's life and says, like father, like son. It's not a good thing for that son. Well, here's the picture of God. He is the perfect father. And for God to be holy means that God is perfect in all of his ways. He is perfectly loving, perfectly just, perfectly merciful, perfectly wise, perfectly faithful, perfectly good. We could go on and on. And if that's the case, then don't you and I want it to be said of us, like Father, with a capital F, Father, like Father, like Son, or Daughter. Like we want to be holy. Why? Because we want to be like our Father. We want to be loving and just and merciful and kind and wise and faithful, don't we? Like who of us thinks, I want to be hateful and unjust and I want to be a fool and I want to be evil. I know, like we want to reflect the character of God. Certainly as Christians, think about my life. I, I, want, I want my wife and my kids to see the character of God in me. I want you to see the character of God in me. I want people around me who are spiritually lost on a road that leads to eternal suffering. I want them to see the character of God in me. We want to reflect the character of God. Don't you want that in your life? And not just for the sake of others, but for the sake of yourself. Think about it. God created you. God designed you. God knows what is best for you and your heart and your mind and your life far better than you do. So it makes sense that if you actually want the most out of life, if you want to live the good life, then you want to live like the one who's perfectly good. Like the holy life equals the good life. 
The holy life equals the abundant life, the full life. Again, this is remarkably simple, not saying easy, but don't make this more complicated than it is. Do you want to live a full life? Then live the life that your creator who loves you and made you has designed you to be. Be holy like God. To be like God is the best way to be. And then, so third step to a full life, and this is where things get really interesting, even baffling. Verse 17 says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, then here's the third command, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited by, from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Whoa, what a statement. You gotta see what this means because the third step, so if you're taking notes, third step to a full life is to be fearful of God. Be fearful of God. Now, as soon as I write that, you might start to think what I start to think. Wait, I thought I wasn't supposed to be afraid. Like all throughout scripture, don't fear, don't fear, don't be afraid. And besides, how can I hope in God if I'm afraid of God? Like how can I live in hope and fear at the same time? And that's what I'm asking when I, when I read this. And you ask that question, the answer is awesome. So think about this with me. It is right and good to fear someone when you love someone. Let me say that one more time. Like it is right and good to fear someone when you love someone in this way. Simplest illustration I can think of is my dad who is in heaven right now and who I miss constantly. There are so many days, particularly recently, when I would love to call him up and ask for wisdom. I loved my dad so much that I feared disobeying or dishonoring him. Not because of what he would do to me, although I knew he would show appropriate discipline to me, which I would rather not experience, but even more so because of what my disobedience would be saying to him, that I don't honor him despite his love for me. I can think of another example. I love my wife, Heather, so much that I fear, I dread doing anything that would dishonor her or her love for me. Like the way she loves me, how much I love her, I don't even wanna think about doing something that would show her that she is not precious and her love is not valuable to me. Fear, I dread that. So that's the sense of fear we're seeing here in our relationship with God. So in one sense, yes, there's a fear of God as judge for whom we will one day stand to give an account for all our deeds. 
There's a whole other sermon there on what the day of judgment involves, though to be clear, all who are in Jesus do not fear ultimate judgment, being separated from God's love for all of eternity. Jesus has paid the price for our sins. But that's just it. Notice the emphasis here. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout this time as an exile, elect exile, knowing that you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. You see the relationship between fear and love here? Knowing that God in his love sent his son to shed his blood for your sins. So just just pause there. So non-Christian friend or family member, like here's what that means. We have all sinned against God. We all deserve judgment from God for all of eternity. Everlasting condemnation for our sins. That's what we deserve. But God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to pay the price for our sins, to die for us, to rise from the grave so that anyone anywhere, including anyone today who trusts in Jesus can be saved from all their sins and restored to relationship with God for full, eternal, everlasting life. And this full, eternal, everlasting life is only possible through the blood of Jesus who died on the cross for us. So I invite you today, like put your trust in Jesus, his blood to cover over you, your sins, to bring you into relationship with God as father. And then when you do, and for all who have, For all who know God is Father, then fear living in a way that shows that Jesus' blood and God's love for you are not precious to you. Don't don't live like that. Fear disobeying, dishonoring God as Father as you give yourself to sin when God gave his Son to free you from that. He's given his Son to free free you from this. Fear living like that's a light thing to you. Love for God produces that kind of fear of God. I'll use one more illustration. This one I heard from John Piper in a sermon he preached in the church I was pastor of before coming here. It's not a perfect illustration. Most illustrations aren't. But I think it helps communicate the point. He said, Imagine an 18-year-old girl kidnapped from her wealthy father. The kidnappers demand a huge ransom, and the father liquidates all of his assets, selling his house, his possessions, right down to his wife's wedding ring. All that he has brings it all to the appointed place, sets the ransom down in a field, and walks away. Soon, the daughter comes out, gets the ransom, takes it back to the kidnappers. And then she puts her arm around one of them as she walks away, looking over her shoulder at her father, laughing and hollering, Sucker! First Peter 1 Peter 1.17 saying, fear saying that to God. You don't, you don't want to say that to God. Don't live like that. Fear taking his sacrifice for your sin, the blood of his son, 
and using it as a license to sin, to run after the things of this world, to put your hope in the things of this world. Like, don't do it. With love for God in light of his love for you, be fearful of God. And don't miss how this is step to the full life. Because when you love God like this, when you know the depth and the value, the preciousness of his love for you like this, then you are experiencing what it means to know and enjoy God as your father, which is the most awesome way to live. And nothing in this world can compare with knowing and enjoying God as your father. Like this intensity of love and fear in a relationship. This intensity of love and fear in this relationship with my dad is why I miss him so much. This intensity of love and fear in my relationship with Heather is why I enjoy her so much. And this intensity of love and fear in relationship with God is critical to knowing and enjoying life to the full with God as your father. And those words, our father, lead right into the final step to the full life. So hope in God be holy like God, and be fearful of God in these ways. And then, fourth, verse 22, says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. So here's the fourth command. Love one another. Earnestly, from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Wow, that is so good. Follow this. Fourth step to a full life. Number four, love like God. Love like God. This phrase, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, that's talking about how people become Christians, how they become followers of Jesus by trusting in Jesus to save, purify them from their sins, to follow him as Lord. It's paralleled by the end here, uh, verse 20 and verse 23, when you, since you have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. So what's so awesome here is the way God links their conversion to Christ with their affection for one another in the church. And don't miss it. Like when we think about holiness, We so often think about holiness is like not doing this or not doing that in this world, which is true. We flee a variety of things in this world we've been saved from. But here, God is saying holiness is defined in what you do in this world to show love for one another. God says my word has created not just new life in you, My word has created a new love in you, a sincere love, like family, brotherly love. It's earnest from a pure heart. So the picture here is a supernatural love, a love that is not natural to us because it's made possible in us by the living and abiding word of God. Even the word here for earnest, this is interesting, could be translated stretched or strained. Like it's a depth of love that is not natural. And this is such a needed word for us today, 
right? In a day when, let's be honest, love for one another is stretched and strained in this world, whether it's disagreements on COVID, life and regathering, or disagreements about justice, race, disagreements about politics, in a day when there is so much temptation and tendency to be critical of each other, suspicious of each other, even to give up on each other, to hear God say to us in his word today, you're actually saved for a sincere brotherly love, like for the purpose of loving each other. And my word gives you supernatural power to do this in otherworldly ways. I, I was so encouraged this week talking with a group leader describing two people in their group saying these two people are polar opposites in so many ways from personality to politics to everything in between. And they're both approaching this election and a host of other things very differently. But they both love Jesus. They both love his word. They're both holding on to those ropes that we picture a few weeks ago. Said they're holding on to those ropes, caring for each other. And they're both serving and sharing the gospel together in our community. Like this is the kind of supernatural, otherworldly love that the living and abiding word of God creates in us. That we're created for And think about this love, not just in the present, like right here, how do we love each other like that right here, but in light of the future. So picture this rope here going toward eternity future because there's coming a day in the future, like right here, not even way down here, but right here when we won't have conflict with each other anymore. Like none. I, I share in this voting book how there's, just so much sickness among Christians, evident social media, back and forth, so many different ways. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email, this site, that site. I would, as a side note, just encourage you to spend far more time in God's word and sharing the gospel than you do patrolling social media. But I was reminded this week of something John Newton once wrote. So in case you don't recognize that name, John Newton served as a captain on slave ships Before he became a follower of Jesus, the word of God changed his heart. Then he began working against slavery. He's probably most well known for writing the hymn, Amazing Grace. He wrote many other things though, also, including a letter called On Controversy. So a pastor had written Newton saying that this pastor was gonna write an article criticizing another pastor. And Newton replied with some cautions for him to consider, not just in his writing, but in his heart. And one of the things Newton talked about in his reply was viewing this other pastor here in light of eternity. So Newton wrote, I'll put it up here on the screen. If you account him a believer, though greatly mistaken in the subject of debate between you, the words of David to Joab concerning Absalom are very applicable. Deal gently with him for my sake. The Lord loves him and bears with him. Therefore, you must not despise him or treat him harshly. The Lord bears with you likewise and expects that you should show tenderness to others from a sense of the much forgiveness you need yourself. 
In a little while, this is the future. Listen to this statement, it's so good. In a little while, you will meet him in heaven and he will then be dearer to you than the nearest friend you have upon earth is to you now. Anticipate that period in your thoughts. And though you may find it necessary to oppose his errors, view him personally as a kindred soul with whom you are to be happy in Christ forever. Is that not a good word? Like Christians, view each other that way. Even Christians you disagree with, deal gently with them. Do not treat them harshly as the world would have you. Instead, anticipate the day when you will love him or her more than you love even your closest friend or family member right now. So love him or her today as one with whom you will be happy in Christ together forever. That's truly an otherworldly love that is a critical step to a full life. Which is right where this text lands. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. In other words, this world is fading. So live like it. Live like it. Like if I could just look into the eyes of every single person watching, listening right now, God has just told you right where you are, God has just spoken to you that your life will be futile apart from knowing and enjoying him as father. God has just told you that your life will be full when you know and enjoy him as father, which means hoping in him, being holy like him, being fearful of him and loving like him. So, what are you going to do with what God just said? The way I see it, you have two options. Wherever you are, like one, you can choose not to believe what God has just said. You can say, I reject God. I reject him. I reject the hope Love he offers. I I don't believe in what Jesus has done for me. Or maybe a variation of this option would be to say, I guess I believe some of that. Maybe all of it. But I'd still rather live my own way. Functionally, I'd rather live apart from knowing and enjoying God as Father. And with either or any variation of this option, I want to urge you today to not make that choice. I want to urge you with everything in me because I believe God is speaking to your heart right now saying, don't do it. Based on God's word, I want to urge you not to choose futility with this life you've been given. Don't miss the whole point in a way that at any moment could be today, could be tomorrow, might lead you to 
eternal, everlasting judgment, condemnation, separation from the love of God at any moment. Like I urge you, don't make that choice. I urge you today, second option, like choose life. Choose life. Feel like Joshua chapter 24, I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life, lose life. God wants you to have life. And it's only possible through knowing and enjoying him as father. And it's possible for you, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, what your past is, what you're walking through right now, he wants you to experience full, abundant life. I invite you, trust and hope in him. Believe Believe he is who he says he is. He loves you like he's saying he loves you. And put your hope in him, your trust, your faith in him today. I, I want to invite you to bow your heads with me and just lead us into a time of prayer. And, and I want to invite some of you right now to say today's the day when I'm going to choose life in Jesus Today's the day I'm going to put my hope in Jesus, just in your heart just to pray right now and to say to God from your heart, yes, today I choose you. I choose to hope in you. I choose to put my faith and my trust in Jesus. To save me from my sins by his blood on a cross. To give me new life, full life, abundant life. Today I choose Jesus, I choose to hope in you, God. And oh God, for all of us who have made that choice, help us today to experience the life you've called us to live this week, to experience the life you've created us for, a life of hope, Life of holiness. We want to be like you, oh God. Life of fear in all these good and right ways. And life of love. God, give us otherworldly love for each other and for a world around us that desperately needs hope in you. God, help us. I just pray, I pray this over every single person listening right now. God, I pray that you would help them to experience full life, knowing and enjoying you as Father. I pray this over every child, every teenager. God, help them to see the things of this world don't satisfy anywhere close to how you satisfy. God, may children, teenagers know and enjoy you as father. God, I pray this for every young adult, all the way up to senior adult, everywhere in between, every man, woman. God, help us, please help us to hope in you, be holy like you, to fear you, and to love like you, and experience life with you as our father. I pray this based on your word to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the Christian life, prayer is an absolute necessity, and God calls us to pray in joy, in sorrow, in need for our friends, our enemies, and our leaders. So during the month leading up to the presidential election in the United States, we are uniting together on our knees 
daily before God to meditate on and pray according to His Word. So today begins our 31 days of prayer amidst a presidential election. First, you can join us for a special edition of our Pray the Word podcast, where each episode for the next 31 days will be focused on scriptures that will point us to Jesus and how we relate to others, honor our leaders, and cast our ballot during this election season. In addition to that, we have a free online prayer guide that will walk you through the same passage and prayer for each day leading up to the November election, including a special prayer for the day after the election. You can can get this prayer guide by visiting radical.net forward slash before you vote and you can listen to the pray the word podcast by searching pray the word wherever you get your podcasts well that's all for today's episode i'm your host thomas bowen and visit us there at radical.net forward slash before you vote